So thank you all very much for joining us tonight uh, for our tutorial stories in conversation with Sol Moulton. My name is uh, Susanna Cordner and I'm a Senior Research Fellow of Archives here at LCF. Um, so before we kind of outline how the night will go, first of all, please join me in welcoming Sol. Um, so this series is really a way of us bringing in different kinds of creatives um, and depending on their perspective and their background, looking at the ways in which they think about fashion and clothes. We all make decisions about our styles every day and it's interesting to see how your own professional perspective might influence those decisions um, and the way that we read and understand kind of the visual culture around us. Um, so just to kind of get us started, it'd be great if you could explain your profession, your practice, what you do. Okay, well, my name's Saul Milton. I'm one half of a group called Chase and Status. Um, this year is 15 years of Chase and Status. We've been releasing and performing music for that long. Um, music is predominantly drum-based, jungle. Uh, this year, we're returning to the jungle. Um, we've worked with a lot of people over the years, um, from Kano to Rihanna to Jay-Z to Section Boys to ShyFX. And um, street style and culture has been very important to us. And um, without it, I wouldn't be here. <laughs> Brilliant. So you're our first guest for the series that's come from the music industry. Um, to me, fashion and music seem kind of in, in, intrinsically linked. Um, I'd be interested to know if you agree and how that's affected your career, really, that relationship. Yeah, without a doubt, uh, for us, and I think for everyone, fashion and um, music are, without a doubt, intrinsically linked. I think, um, especially in social climates like we're in now, which for me are very uh, reminiscent to the early 90s, because then there was distrust in the government, mm. financial downturn, uncertainty for the future, and it was quite a difficult time f for more time the working class in Britain then. Fast forward to today, People don't know what the hell's going on with Brexit. Mm. We're in a financial downturn. Distrust of the <coughs> government is possi possibly at its highest. Um, and in that time, and, and I think in this time, in those times it's sort of social upheaval, great music is always made. Mm. Um, be it the punk movement, to the rave movement, to everything that's going on now with, with UK rap and everything like It's a great time for music. And, and for one reason, I think, is because if you have money or you don't have money, people see music as something that everyone can enjoy. If, you, if you've got the blessing of hearing, you can basically enjoy music. And it's a release, you know, no matter what's going on in your life, if you can get something together, go out on a Friday, Saturday night, go raving, go to a club, you get to release whatever stretch you've had for the week. And fashion and style goes hand in hand with that because certain scenes, certain movements have like uniforms. Mm. And, and again, without having to buy designer labels, you can go and find your own style, just the types of clothing you want, you know. Um, and I think we're seeing the same thing now as we were then, fashion and music hand in hand, creative, innovative, um, against the system, I think, yeah, without a doubt. Yeah, I really like the idea of that partnership and relationship being a form or a sense of like relief. Um, and I'm also interested, you kind of touched on the idea of there of particular scenes with, with style, whether it's a style of sound or a style of clothing. Um, so I'd be interested in the idea of uh, subcultures. Um, and what do you think, from what you've just described, what comes first, the sound and the music or the style and the way that the associated scene actually looks? Chicken and the egg. <laughs> it's, it's a difficult one. It's interesting because if we take it back to the beginning of rave, like early 90s, the beginning of hardcore, 
Um, these are places that were like meeting grounds for people who would never normally frequent the same venue. Mm. All races, colors, and creeds. But what I'm really getting at is the casual movement, as in the sense that the casuals were the footballers, the terrace, not the footballers, the football fans on the terraces. Mm -hmm. So you'd have Millwall fighting West Ham, and they still do today. Like they have a deep-rooted deep rivalry, but they might have been at the same service station on a Friday night getting that text message on their one-to-one -one phone about which farm to go to, to go raving. Mm. And under this huge barn or whatever, playing early acid house, you'd have casuals from other sides of the fence, like spudding mm. in the middle of the road, probably inebriated, but like really getting on. And it was, it was, it was a place where, you know, you, everyone would become one, if you will. Like mm. you, you leave your differences at the door. Um, and because those kind of different people came to the, these events, the, the fashion changed. So that casual look was that kind of moddy, um, also, you know, the Adidas and, and, that, and, that kind of, and that kind of Green Street, that kind of look, yeah, yeah Gregory. Um, and that became part of rave culture. Mm. And that twist and turned into the 90s and into this, where, where the culture as, it, as in a way of kind of showing your worth that you're doing well, if you don't have much money, it's about what you got on your wrist, what you got on your feet, what you got on your back. Mm. And there was no higher way of showing people like, I'm doing all right, unless they've seen that Medusa on the back of your shirt, you know, they know you've got Versace on, or they know you've got Moschino on, it says so, head to toe. Mm. Um, and like we said earlier, off out of here, you know, we, we appropriated Italian fashion so these, these clothes were meant for the catwalks in Milan and the flamboyant men and women. and They certainly weren't meant for the roads. And they were taken here, they were appropriated, they were tailored, they were tapered, they were shortened, they were darted at the back. They were coupled with Gucci loafers and gold Versace shades, mm. gold chains and champagne in a rave. And I don't think, well I know they didn't, we, I went to Italy and met Reserve Giardini, they didn't make these clothes for that, yeah. you know. So we took that fashion and made it part of the scene, and then it just became hand in hand. You know, yeah, yeah. It kind of smartened up the garage as it got uh, as it kind of went less kind of crazy flamboyant, and you'd have loud shirt, black jeans, Patrick Cox loafers, gold chaps. It became more about trying to suave. Yeah, yeah, I really like that idea that it's appropriated style rather than like purely aspirational purchases because it could be like a particular London scene is buying into the kind of extrovert extravagance of Italian fashion. Like the glamour of Italian fashion has a really particular kind of status to it already, but you're doing something different with that. Obviously, like you've kind of touched on literally the change of scene in terms of the change of experience and space because it goes from raves in the woods and warehouses to clubs where you need yeah. to impress someone on the door to get in and it, you know is that something that you're consciously taking on board as that subculture style changes like you need to get past you know the man on the door rather oh, well, than like the friend in the street almost. Yeah well, I think the guy on the door would have been they were, weren't too bothered if you were wearing what you were wearing mm -hmm. as long as you weren't with a group of just strictly men then they'd probably let you in because likely slightly less trouble if it wasn't just a group of guys. But um, what, what, what I do find interesting is that today, in 2018, like the youth have appropriated our fashion from the 90s. So they want the mosh, they want the loud shirts, but they wear it differently. They wear it with tracksuit bottoms, different kind of trainers, Nike climber fit caps, um, 
and it's, it's funny, it's, 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 it is different to how we did it, you know? Like, we were trying to profile and show off, if you will, like, yeah, like you said, aspirational purchase, the first Moschino shirt I got, my grandpa got for me, there's no way I could have afforded it. And that was definitely that, and I've cherished that shirt, and I always will. Um, but the youth now, they don't really want to be spending big money on, on these garments. Mm. Like, when I'm buying vintage clothes, I'm haggling down 10 pounds. Like, I don't want to spend over the odds either, and neither mm. do they. But they want, they want to experience what we had in the 90s. They want to have something to hold, some of the culture. That's why vinyl sales are back. Um, the whole vintage scene is massive because of, of, of platforms like Wavy Garments, which are really doing a lot, lot, lot for it. And it's like they, they want to not, not just ha live this life of streaming music and having MP3s, you know. They want to go to raves. And they want to put the posters on their walls mm. about Skibbity and Randall. And they want that. Yeah. And for us, that is inspiring to see, you know, because in, in, in what's going on in society and culture, you think you could get lost in a sea of social media and hot today, gone tomorrow. Yeah. Music flies by, what's hot today is, doesn't exist tomorrow. And yeah, yeah. If it doesn't connect straight away, you get loads of views, people think it's something else. And it's nice to see the youth not getting caught up in all that and being quite interested in having their own renaissance like we had in the 90s, because it changed all of our lives. And I think the 18-year-olds today coming up, I think if they're having a different kind of mind frame to how you expect them to have, I think for us that's inspiring. Yeah, that's brilliant. And it's also it shows that they're like by it's kinda like they're building on an idea that's already, you know, been proven to work and kind of referring back to a success story. So they're building on your own experience and you become a cultural reference point, which I think is nice. And I also like that idea that you just said about um social media and telling like the object and this tactile nature of the style and whether it's the clothing or whether it's the vinyl. Um, that's like a sense of delayed gratification in a way, rather than just getting the buzz of tagging that you've been somewhere and having this one image of you for, for Facebook that shows you went to a rave once kind of thing. Like Continuing to use the clothing almost as a code to show that you're part of the scene is quite a powerful... Oh, yeah. I mean, f for us back then, and maybe it's, maybe it's now as well for the kids, but for us, it was like a uniform. Mm. So um, we used to live quite close to Black Market Records on RIP, no longer on Darblade Street in Tottenham Court Road. And um, I'd go there every day. Mm. Um, one could have just wanted to go, but also like as an early obsession, I knew when certain promos and test presses were coming in, I knew what delivery driver was bringing what. <laughs> when Nicky Black Market was in there, if he'd give me the new caliber record on TP, like I was really obsessed. Like, hence why I managed to get to do this for a living. So I go down there every day. And if you'd see someone walk in either from or to, and they'd also have a cool little Versace jacket on, or like just wearing some D&G or some Mosh, you'd, you'd nod at each other mm. and say, you yeah, know, yeah. like, you obviously haven't just been to Hippodrome or something. Yeah. <laughs> There's a high possibility you were at One Nation on Saturday as well. Yeah. Or like, you also have that Mickey Finn tape. You know what I mean? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Your paths uh, have crossed. And, and, it, and it was. Experience. And everyone else would just like, look at these dickheads in clown outfits. Because <laughs> it, it just looked mad. But if you were actually in it, mm. you, it was part of it. So it really was a uniform, like, yeah. to show you, like, I'm into this scene, I'm mm. into that scene. And I think that's that's carried on for many years. Yeah, it's above and beyond a band T-shirt. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Appreciation. That's really great. Um, so kind of building on that, in the exhibition, I, I kept noticing in the text, like, the style that you're talking about is almost described kind of lyrically or in terms of a sound. It's like almost as though you're trying to make the make an 
an audible visual. There was things like the word loud is repeatedly used, or in one case, someone refers to it as a boom in your face vibes. Um, someone else calls it off key. Like, do you think there's an element in, you know, do you spoke about kind of how brash the style is? Is that yeah. something, we, is a, a way of matching the visual to the sound, do you think? Yeah, well, actually, um, it's very gaudy. Mm. You know, it's very just like, kind of loud for the sake of it. And yeah, them kind of shirts, off key mosh, that's what we used to call it. And that's what all this is. Yeah, off key mosh, it was loud, it was off key, it was anything but, you know, refrained. Yeah. Um, for me, it's all rude boy culture. Mm -hmm. and that's something I've been very interested in since I was a kid and today and seeing how it's, how it's changed. And, and it's just exactly that. The rude boy culture for me is that era where jungle and garage reigned supreme. And it was all about going to these raves week in, week out, like dressed to impress, not just to, to impress girls, but just, I don't know, they'll make yourself feel cool. Mm. And you definitely, you definitely felt like you were pretty cool if you were like wearing a lot of Moschino and Versace and that. Mm. But when I was that age, I didn't have the confidence to wear anything like this. As in, I had pieces, but I yeah. couldn't, couldn't have put it all together. Uh, I couldn't okay. have worn the shirt and the jeans and yeah, the jacket because yeah. I was, I don't know, tiny. <laughs> and I'd have looked, I wouldn't have the confidence you know, to wear it. Now I'm, 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 I'm a fat old man and I can get away with it. Um, but then, no, I definitely didn't have confidence really and if you were at a rave and there was someone head to toe mosh you know shades on gold rings chains out bottle of champagne there's quite a high possibility that maybe would have potentially been one of the naughtier people in that venue sure <laughs> and yeah it, <laughs> the it, 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 it meant different going. things back then you know <laughs> yeah, like, yeah. and i definitely didn't quite have that confidence to wear it whereas you know i'd be going raving and now these people are our peers like uh, heartless crew skipper and shabba they'd be on stage wearing head to toe and, it'd be, and it would be like wow a bit of a spectacle so i guess fast forward to 2013 when i really started revving up my collecting again or 2012 whenever it was i started wearing it mm. on stage um because i was like well it's stage clothes it makes you know and i got really comfortable and yeah. confident wearing it but as we spoke off camera before um when i first started wearing it again it was because i wanted to get inspired and get into a place where I was most inspired back in the day. Mm. When I was most inspired and most wanted to be a jungle DJ and most wanted to do this was when I was 18 years old, thought I was too cool for school, wearing Moschino and Versace, trying to go raving. And so I wanted to get back in that headspace. And that was, so I did. I just basically got out of my old wardrobe, redressed how I did then, mm -hmm. and went along with my life. And people were saying to me, bruv, you look mental. <laughs> and I was like, oh, cool. <laughs> you know, wearing that kind of, well, either wearing the red outfit, and it was like, yeah, we're about to go on stage somewhere, headlining some festival in, I don't know, Austria or something. Mm -hmm. And someone in the crew pulled me aside and said, look, I should tell you, but mate, you look mad. <laughs> There's a lot of people out there. Are you sure? I mean, there'd be photos. And, and obviously, now I'm feeling quite anxious about it, self-conscious. Mm. I'm, I'm, I'm dressed now, ready to go. So either way, I went out there. And then shortly after that, that period of time, within weeks, People went from saying, oh, you look mad, to like, yo, you look pretty sick. Yeah, to aspiring to it themselves. Fashion changed again, yeah. and suddenly it became in to be searching for these old vintage clothes and the designers from the 90s, Dior, Fendi, D&G, DKNY, all mm. suddenly coming back. And I went from becoming some, you know, literally some mad hatter to like, oh, you're on trend. Yeah. And that's that, and I'll probably still be wearing this in a few years' time. People are like, bro, you look mad, because no one's wearing it now. 
and then in 15 years' time, I'm all right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, because it's a genuine connection that you have to the Well, I just, yeah, I can't, I personally can't keep changing each, each trend. I'm just into it. Mm. I always have been, you know. Yeah, and it also, I haven't heard you describe quite that before. It sounds, it's fascinating. It sounds almost like a character that you were inhabiting. It was like, this was something you hadn't felt confident enough to do before, and then now you'd reached a time in your life and your career when you maybe felt that you could pull it off. And yeah, maybe. You had the kind of prowess or that stage presence, because as much as you're thinking, oh, God, before you come on, there's then 30,000 people looking at you and they're all thrilled that you're there. You know, they won't be thinking, oh, this guy wasn't sure about his shirt two minutes ago. Right, you yeah. know what I mean? So you're, it just it takes that kind of that step that you took and then everyone will kind of assume that the confidence was always there. So yeah, well, and now, and now it's everywhere. I don't mean my confidence, mm -hmm. I mean these people wearing... Yeah. There's lot, lots of young new stylists out there doing doing great stuff. Mm. And you see lots of new acts styled in Moschino, styled in Old Versace, yeah. styled in Fendi. Yeah. Like Burberry's back, like the wavy garments drop been selling that shit for like three years now for pittance. Mm. And now watch, now it's going to sell it like yeah. loads. It's going to rock it. They're bringing it all back and they've released, they're releasing the, cap, the capsule collection, which are just vintage pieces of the 90s remade. Everyone's doing that. Now Iceberg's back, Giggs is wearing Iceberg all the time. All those labels from the 90s, they are having a real renaissance right now. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, no, that's interesting. On the um, kind of performance idea, I noticed, I was looking at Instagram earlier, and you know, knowing how important the clothes are and the atmosphere when you're going on stage, it was interesting, because most of the shots are from behind. So, and that's probably partly, almost, I think, you do an interesting job of almost not pushing your personality with your work and your product, um, but also, it's interesting in terms of the clothes because it means you only get a back view of all these amazing suits and outfits. Is that something you consciously... No, not at all, not mm -hmm. at all. Um, actually, our photographer Ashley Vert is here right now and he does a, a, an amazing job of just portraying what's going on. Mm. And what ho and I'd like to think that hopefully what we're doing when we're playing to 30,000 people or whatever is way bigger than us. Mm. It's not about me or Will or Pat. It's about the music, hopefully, and the crowd interacting Having a, having the best time they can, mm -hmm. and hopefully it's because we put on a good show and sometimes make good music that people enjoy it and come to see come to see us for that. Because yeah. we're not we're not celebs, we're not uh, famous people, and we're not we're not that way inclined. You know, people aren't people people are less bothered about taking selfies with us at Heathrow Airport than let's say a young rapper, and that's that is great. <laughs> that is cool. That's how you want it. That is definitely how we want it. We never we never started this to have any level of fame in mm -hmm. the slightest. We just started this literally to DJ at the end after Andy C. <laughs> and when that happens, we could have given up, you know? And, yeah. and, the, and then these other weird things have happened like Rihanna's and Jay-Z's mm. major labels and bands and stuff. It's fantastic. But like I said, the original, the, the two the dreams were to DJ with Skibber and Shabba and to DJ with Andy C. And how are you going to get the opportunity? You can't just say to say, yo, Andy, what's happening? I'm a really good DJ. Let me play off to you. Yeah. Like, yeah, cool. <laughs> Shimon, Randall, don't worry about it. <laughs> this kid, he's on. It's never going to happen. Yeah. The same way you can't go up to an MC and say, yo, let me spray a couple of bars. Mm. You get that mic stuffed down your throat. It just doesn't happen. Yeah. And so we, we knew we had to contribute to a scene. And in doing so, we wanted to make music. So we would be musicians. Mm -hmm. And that's what all, all became, all, all happened, and then all the other stuff is, is a byproduct and it's great, but that was the, the, the raw, raw of it. Yeah. And that's what we're doing again this year. That's why this whole year for us at Chase and Status is Return to Jungle. We're doing Super Sharp here, which is 
had a great reaction and I couldn't be happier with it. And then hopefully we're going to do Return to Jungle exhibition this year, housing all 1,500 pieces. It's going to be fun, uh, I, I guess. And um, we've got a Return to Jungle DJ tour, album of the same name, and we've got a lot of plans for the next couple of years. And it really is returning back to that place to where we were most inspired, where we come from, making jungle drum and bass. Perfect. Uh, well, with that in mind, I think it might be good to move on to our object. Um, and within that, we can maybe talk about the exhibition a little bit more. Oh, yeah. So I sort of flagged it up at the beginning. But as part of this series, the idea is to think about the way that we read and engage with clothes, depending on our own perspectives and experience. Um, so I asked you to bring in a piece or an outfit or a look um, from your own collection. So just to kind of get us started, would you be able to describe what Sure. Um, I was asked to bring in a piece and just generally, you know, I'll, more time in life, I probably won't do exactly what I've been asked to do, <laughs> so I didn't. Um, it was difficult for me to choose a piece because I've got of over 1,500, uh, and that's also in itself another conversation, but I could have brought in a piece that no one had ever seen, and if you guys are familiar with Vintage Moschino, you've probably seen this print. Um, I didn't want to bring in a piece that no one ever seen because there's not much to talk about in that regard. I like it. Thanks. Um, this was a real, real important piece. This is, this is the Polaroid print, and this is the jacket, the shirt, and the jeans. It's the look rather than the one piece per se. And it came, it came in a few different colorways, which obviously I've got, but I'm not going to bring them all in. <laughs> but this was the most flamboyant, the most interesting. Um, it's all st uh, frame footage, so you can actually... There's a guy I know called Adam who has a vintage store called Nothing Special who did this. You can actually line them all up on, 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 on using a program and it plays an actual video, the actual video stills. Um, but it's, it was just an amazing piece for, at the time. That was our, back in the day, uh, midnight or whatever, and BBC Two turned off or Channel Four, you'd get this thing after as it came on that showed there's nothing coming on till the day. Um, the, the images on here are some of Franco's personal, as a model he used to use in, in, in his lots of his work. And it's just a really great, great piece. It was really, really sought after. Really, It's a really rare piece. Like These shirts are called grails now, where they're, they're worth a lot of money, and people really find it hard to get them. Um, and like I say, it comes in a, a red and white colorway, a blue and white. It's got all of those. Um, <laughs> But yeah, this is one of those pieces that would turn heads in a rave without a shadow of a doubt. Keeping the tags on was very important, still is to me. Um, and actually finding all of the pieces wasn't that easy. Um, but yeah, it's, this, 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 this was a real, real important piece. Uh, Mid-90s to late 90s, you'd see this all the time in, in the raves, uh, at, at the end, at Bagley's. Um, it's... It's pretty, pretty amazing. The shirt I've had tailored and darted because I'm pretty short and otherwise like a dress. <laughs> and I, I did that to all, all, the cl all, all my pieces. I have to get tailored. Yeah, I was going to ask you about that. So your archive almost becomes a collection or credit to your own body and your experience. And well, I, I, I buy a lot for my wife. If I yeah. say that, she says, whatever, it's just your collection. <laughs> but she can wear and, and I had a lot of things tailored for her mm -hmm. and for myself. So I will buy pieces regardless of the size. Yeah. So it, it can be, you know, 40 waist, 40 leg. And that, so that literally is like, you know, a double folded over dress. I take it to my tailor and we 
we, we mm. get it we get it to work yeah. um and some of it's more about just having the the pattern than about whether i'm going to wear it you know yeah i was going to say because i'm fascinated by the fact that you just said, said about the different colorways and before we got started i asked you if there was anything left that you still want to collect and you're like oh well, i've got a couple of colorways left and I, I don't think i've ever met a collector that's kind of that specific yeah. about it where you really want every last option that has been provided so is it just if you see an opportunity and a piece that you don't have yet that's it you're going to grab it there yeah, yeah yeah without a doubt um yeah so for me it was like 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 we also said off camera before collectors kind of have obsessions and then have other ones and then these ones park and then they you know reinvent themselves and revisit them but for me uh, I knew I wanted every single like pattern, certain patterns I wanted. So once I got those patterns, that was like job done. Yeah. Then it was like, okay, we've got the full set. Now let's try and find all the colorways. You yeah. Know? Um, and that becomes the second side of it, you know. Yeah, yeah. And you have to know when to stop. I put myself a bit of a cap. So my collection is, it really is the whole era when we went raving. Um, it's the early 90s, the early 2000s. And I kind of capped it off with Jeremy Scott's first collection. I got most of those pieces because I needed to have like a beginning and it needs an end, otherwise it's never ending. And it has to have an end because the, st the story really stops when Rosella Giardini, who was creative director at Moschino since the inception, when she left and Jeremy came in. Because um, that was, for me, was the end of the era that we all wore. Yeah, it was like the changing of the guards. Changing really. of the guards. Yeah. And a good thing for them, they've done very well, so congratulations and hats off. But in terms of, and it was good for me because I needed somewhere to stop because my wife would have left me. <laughs> um, and so, yeah, again, like I said, there's loads of other pieces I could be buying. You could, you could find all these amazing couture dresses from the late 80s and, you know, lifeguard dresses and all these incredible, they cost you thousands and they're incredibly rare. And you could, and I found them. Yeah. But they have no... That's just now buying it for the sake of it. I've got yeah. an old dress. Yeah, yeah, it doesn't resonate really in the same way. Yeah. yeah. Like it really literally tells this tale of street style and culture and how it's come full circle, you know? Yeah, amazing. I want to return to that idea of telling a tale a bit later, but kind of returning to these guys, you said something as well about the impact that you would have had when you walk into a rave with this. First, do you think that's because Partly because, you know, these, this is a bold suit. This is <laughs> um, a pretty clear-cut design that's going to make an entrance. But do you think that's also because it had this clear coded association? Like, someone's going to read this when you walk into the room and they're going to know... Yeah, 100%. Okay. But on both, on both mm. counts. One, it was fuck... Sorry. One, it was very loud. <laughs> um, and, uh, and without a doubt, even if I wear it today, mm. people... You know, if I'm on stage, it's definitely... It's, 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 a, it's, a, it's, it's, it's an eye catcher and it's a, it's a talking point mm. but without a shadow of a doubt like I said if we walked into if we walked in I mean to Bagley's One Nation what year would it have been 99 February Valentine rolling in we're walking through Arena 2 and you see someone in the Polaroid print had to tell you be like Stephen you see mm. my man right <laughs> back then it was really expensive in, in, yeah. re in relation to your age and stuff mm. and it was just where do you get it yeah, you know, and uh, and just being able to wear it in the rave, thousands of people just so mm. confidently was definitely yeah interesting. So you know you're spreading see. a thrill through the night with your outfit in a way. But yeah. also you just said that about the expense and about the chase to get it, and I think with a lot of collectors there's a, an element of the thrill of the chase because now when people see you and your pieces, 
if you're in the know, you know that you've had to go on your own little treasure hunt to seek those out and things. So it's still, in a way, a status symbol because it shows the time and care that you put in. Like, how do you go looking for pieces? Are they offered, you know, are there dealers no one, out there no, now no who one. know? Or no? Oh, damn. Uh, okay, right. <laughs> uh, every now and again, I've got some good, I've got some good friends who, if they, if they come across a piece they think I might like, they'll send me a message, yo, check this out, so I'm just selling it. Um, but I've been everywhere looking for pieces on all, every single place online, from eBay to Etsy to Depop to, my God, uh, anywhere, basically. Um, lots of people, I've had some great deals. Lots of people had no idea what they were selling, had no idea they had something so good. And some people knew they had something great and tried to get you know, a mortgage out of me for it, which never happened. Um, so you see some interesting people mm. um, through it. And like with everything, it's a culture. It's a, it's a scene, it's an underground movement. Mm. Like with everything in, in music, there's an underground scene. Like in the jungle, there's a scene. In tropical house, there's a scene. Buying vintage clothes, there's a scene. Mm. People know each other. People know where to get it from. People know what warehouses are selling this and that. People buy boxes of like like in, those, like in that storage hunters show. Yeah. People go and buy a box of shit, and in there is like you know an old watering can, <laughs> you know a shoe, like like mouldy socks, and then some crazy Versace jacket with yeah. like diamond studs on the back, yeah. and they've got it all for 60 quid, you know what yeah, I mean? Yeah, yeah, and yeah, that's you're taking people, the risk. Yeah, and that's how people find things. They, they go hunting. Yeah. People go to Milan, go to big warehouses, go to flea markets. Mm. It's, 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 it's a real scene, it's, you know, and it's a real culture, and it's a community. It's yeah. A, it's a community, these guys, what, what's got going on. Yeah, I really like the idea, because you've kind of spoken about the code in the community of wearing the clothes the first time around, and again now, but then also the idea that there are this, this collection, this kind of community of collectors is really striking as well. Are you unusual in that, you know, from what I've gathered so far, you wear your collection and you wear your pieces. Is that unusual with the people that you end up coming into contact with? No, not at all. Like, as a curator, I think it's really, really brilliant because I'm not, I'm barely allowed to touch the things I care for, but equally, it's, yeah, it, I know from experience how unusual that is, so I think that's really interesting. Yeah, no, most of the people who I know who are like, into it like I'm into it, like aficionados or like idiots. Um, they also, yeah, yeah, they wear it. Yeah. yeah. All the time, all the time. My jeweler, he's uh, he's a big, big, big collector. Mm. And I say big, he's got a couple hundred pieces. But he, for back in the day, he had absolutely everything. Mm. And like he, we, we, he knows everything about it. So we're from a very same place. And yeah, he'll be what he'll be going to work with his gold chains and his, his chaps and his. Mad Mosher, this plain, you know, mm. without a shadow of a doubt. Another good friend of mine, Jamie, goes to all the spaces, loves it. You mm. know, he doesn't get anything tailored. He does that technique where you, you, you roll you roll your trousers in and up, and you can like tailor it, taper it like so that. So he's leaving how he found it in a way. How he found it, yeah. yeah. We've had bad dis debates. <laughs> yeah, I can imagine that kind of contrast. I find that really interesting. The line between wanting to make something your own and the fact that you've experienced it and where you've worn it becoming an imprint and a part of that garment story and then others where it's that you're almost like the keep you're almost the keeper of something and then you're going to pass it on and I think it's really striking that you're you're an interesting balance by the sounds between you know really wanting to preserve this history but also wanting to keep on experiencing it and that's quite quite joyful in a way yeah, that's one way to look at it I guess yeah <laughs> um, yeah I mean Going back to when you talked about awareness in the rave, I mean, mm. another reason I guess that people like me at the age might not have worn it in the rave was 
you know, a lot of people were taking it off people in raves. Mm -hmm. Without a doubt, there are people who went to raves to take off people's mosquito jackets or to go home with their yellow iceberg shirts, mm. you know. So again, when you see someone who was so brazen to wear it all out in a rave and feel yeah. no way, you also kind of, kind of, kind of thought, well, they also feel no way about that situation arising. Yeah. And fast forward it to this, this era, generally I'm not too concerned about people taking my, my shirt or jacket off my back, so. Mm -hmm. Yeah. But also n not about being too precious about them as well. Like, do you when you're wearing it? I assume you know you're there to have a good time, particularly if you're performing. The odd slip of beer or dare I say a, some cigarette ash or something might come into contact with your clothes. Is that something that you're anxious about, or is it just that the garment is part of yeah, the no, lived I've got, experience? And I've got two daughters, mm. two massive dogs. So <laughs> no, yeah, I, I, it's not at all. However, obviously, I don't want my, you know my dog jumping up and ripping my shirts to bits. So obviously, I'm, I'm pretty careful about it. Mm -hmm. And funny enough, they the clothes are in a room where I don't know how, but there's no dust. It's got, it's got very mm. cool temperature, so not a single moth has been in there. So I, do, I keep I keep yeah. keep them in good nick. Yeah, I was going to ask. Not like that. rolling around in shit. Or yeah. <laughs> like but, um, no, yeah, I was going to ask about that though, because because you do keep because you continue to wear them, and that's interesting about how you collect pieces for your wife as well. Like, are they in your wardrobe with your other items, or is there another wardrobe that's your collection? No, I mean, it's, it shows in some of these photos. It's a, I've got. It needs to become my youngest daughter's bedroom, but there's a room <laughs> in the house. That's got <laughs> my entire mosquito collection. Yeah. Um, and regrettably, it's going to have to find a new home <laughs> before it goes to the next exhibition because it's just taking up too much space. But keep it in there. I do keep very good condition of it if I can. Mm -hmm. But no, when you're out and about and you're on the road and you're wearing it, you just have to wear it. Yeah. And if I'm that crazy about a certain piece, I will try and find a double, which mm -hmm. I've. All the pieces in the exhibition next door, they're all doubles. Mm -hmm. Because just in case anything happens, I've still got them. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah, you've got mad. backups. And then, so the, some of the pieces you collect, is it of interest to you who the wearer was and therefore where the piece has been? Or is That's it about the design it. itself? No, no, no. I mean, if anything, I'd, I'd definitely try and not think about it. If I'm buying a okay. vintage piece, yeah, yeah, I really, so you don't necessarily, I know it's interesting, interesting to think about, wow, what journey this garment's been on. Mm. But really, I don't want to think about that. Yeah, I'm yeah. All right, yeah. <laughs> you want to dry clean and ready for me. Pretty dry me, and we just get that in the wash. Mm -hmm. <laughs> like you just don't know. Yeah. A couple of j jackets are still not worn because they did come fairly frowsy and suspect. So. <laughs> no, I try and think that these clothes have been kept somewhere by someone's mum. Just waiting for you. Totally yeah. fine. Yeah, I'd rather not think about their history. Yeah. yeah. Okay. That's that's curious. Like, because yeah, it could be. From my perspective, it can be interesting thinking of the different scenes and parties yeah. it's been through. But then but that shows again the kind of personal drive that you have. But that's so wavy garments. That whole culture was based around that. So these mm. kids were buying mosh, all of, all of garments we were mentioning, and they were wearing it for a piece. And then they were like, "Yeah, I'm bored of this shit. Yeah, what have you got? Yeah, I must swap. Yeah. I'll swap that with you." And they became a, a trading place. Yeah, I'd swap you this mosquito jacket for that Versace mm. you know, polo neck. Cool. Then three weeks later, yo. I'm done with this polo neck. Mm -hmm. Has anyone got any mad, you know, DKMY blizzards? And then it became a real, yeah. you know, and they're way less precious. And obviously, you know, and it's interesting to see because I'm really precious. Mm. Like, I want, you know, want to make sure I've got all the bits. I know they haven't gone anywhere. If I'm looking for a certain piece in the room and I can't find it, I'm there till I find it. Yeah. It hasn't gone anywhere. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So how can it? But it's just, you know, I'm really, like, on it to try and find that. Whereas mm. the kids, they're far more blase about it. You yeah. know, there are certain shirts that kind of mad collectors would like would pay 
loads of money for. And these kids have got the shirt and they're just trading it with each other like nothing. Sure. But and, then they, and then they become really, really knowledgeable about it. And you look on the little site and they're saying, yeah, that piece is from this, 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 it's pretty rare. I'd only pay this much for it. Well, these kids are on it. Okay, yeah, yeah. But they're experiencing it a different way by the sounds like, because maybe they're looking for almost a short-term impact where they've worn it to two parties, so now, or they've got the photo of them wearing it, and maybe that means that now they need some fresh yeah, material, whereas regards, you've got yeah. this, like, long-term relationship. Yeah, they live for, I don't know, putting, yeah, the gram, in it, showing mm. people what's going on in their life. But, um, yeah. Mm. I, uh, returning to kind of your earlier point, a lot of... Uh, what you've said tonight has been about these associations that you have had with these clothes and how that relationship's um, built. But you also mentioned that your grandfather bought you the first piece of your collection as something that you still treasure. Did he buy you that because that was something you were desperate for? Or did he look at it as an aspirin? You know, oh, what yeah. were his association? Because presumably he wasn't going to the raves with you. So no, no, he no. Was he, he's, <laughs> he's not with us now. No. He, he wasn't going to the raves with me now. Um, so did they mean something different to him, or was it that he knew it was something he, he wanted, do you think? He, he took me out that day and he spoiled me, which was very <laughs> nice. He was thinking, what the fuck is this shit you're buying? <laughs> How much for this garbage? I'll go and buy you a plain white shirt, and I'll draw an eye test on the back of it, Eminem, <laughs> £35. And I'm there saying, oh, grandpa, this me. And all it was is a plain white shirt. I probably should have brought it in. Plain white shirt, and on the back, it's got, the, it's got the, an eye test. You know, the eye print, and, and it spells out Moschino jeans, and the bottom says Moschino jeans. And I used to wear that with a plain, plain pair of black Versace jeans, which he got me that day as well. So I had the black Versace jeans and the loudish white Moschino shirt, and that was my outfit for a bit for going. That was my going out outfit. Mm -hmm. He was probably thinking, I just bought you some plain black jeans <laughs> and a pretty shit white shirt. <laughs> we'll have a float your boat. Yeah. You know. <laughs> But it's great they had that support on, on this new outlet and seen Yeah, and well, uh, what happened was, uh, I, can mem I remember it very clearly, it was, uh, I was at a new college and I was a bit of a skater. Uh, hair was similar to now, long hair, but I was wearing like drawers, jumper, fresh jive, like Jinko jeans, DC trainers, real, real <laughs> skater kid, like independent beanie, skating, went to the end. Full cycle of the recordings. I remember watching Jumpy Jack Frost, who was here for the launch. Full circle. Mm. And I might have done a couple of things that night, being a bit inebriated. Middle of the dance floor. <laughs> this is what I got to do in my yeah. life. So, that's so, that's, so that was that was that was Friday, Saturday. Shaved my head, got hold of my grandpa, Skino shirt, Sarchi <laughs> jeans. Went to college on Monday, looking like that. People like. What the fuck? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, nah, man, this is me now. You yeah. get me? And that was. <laughs> I found my people. That was it. <laughs> <laughs> you know, it's this jungle, you get me? It's bum. Mm. That was the it. Transformations completely. It, it literally was like that. That's, that's really interesting. That was it, that instantaneous. And at that point, were you conscious of, you kind of talked tonight about the idea that of the reappropriating the Italian brands and, and having a very different scene and, and life to those clothes. Were you conscious at that point that you were wearing Italian clothes? Or is that something that you've kind of learned about later? Oh, yeah, later, later. Yeah. Later, later, later. So, th so almost the brand or its background didn't matter. It was the effect of that. It was, it was, it was just the Moschino with that font. Mm that name and on the back of, 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 of your bum the peace sign mm. the right hand side if you didn't have that on your jeans if you didn't have that on your chest or if you didn't have the medusa i 
I didn't want to know. Mm-hmm. That was it. I didn't know mm. why. It's very different then. Now I'm an old deep by appropriation. Kind of fashion. Sure. It's, you know, but there it's, it's a visual code, right? Yeah, then it was just like my friend Stephen had all over print Moschino jeans. That was it. Mm. You know, we'd go raving, we'd see all the Rue boys wearing those clothes, and you do you gravitate to it. That's what you want to be, what you want that. You know, you just mm. you don't really know why, I guess, but that would look cool. Mm. They're having a good time. Yeah. Like, and then you can also, then you can, you're suddenly like, wait a sec, wearing these jeans that were big enough for people to wear look mad. <laughs> so again, you have that epiphany for yourself. Mm. Like, uh, uh, you know, when, you have, when you're wearing your, your trousers and they go from here to here. And back then, you're like, yeah, my jeans are so baggy, I'm super cool. And then it's like overnight, you think, yeah. me, I look, I'm short. With those clothes on, I, you can't even see me. I like, you know, like a real dwarf. So it's funny. Mm. Uh, then, then it became mad. I, can't, I couldn't believe I used to wear this right. an hour ago. Yeah, you yeah. Know, it becomes so, so fickle. A sense of self, but also a sense of silhouette. So is that when you started having pieces tailored as well? Just Correct. Just so yeah. you, know, you found your own line. Because there was a time where that silhouette was cool. Mm. We had big baggy. And yeah, yeah. You know, crusty-ish. <laughs> but that changed <laughs> for me anyway. <laughs> Not that to weigh. Oh, that's really nice. And you, you, like, within that, you said a couple of things about almost the gaze or looking at those clothes. And I'm curious, now um, now that you've got these links with these brands and now that you've got kind of reputation and things, it's I'm curious whether these Italian brands, whether they, basically, whether it was a two-way relationship, did they wind up being curious about and inspired by the scene that you were part of? Or someone like Jeremy Scott, where he's returning to that now, is he really referencing you rather than Italian fashion? When he it's interesting. So. Um it, uh, it, in Supershop, there's a little video playing, starting doing a documentary with you and Spencer about all of this. And in one part of it, I go to Milan and I meet Rosella Giardini, who was a creative director. And she was with Franco at the inception and she was there when he passed away and then she carried on the mantle for a few years. And I turned up like a crackhead with like a bag of Moschino to our house. All right. <laughs> And she's like, oh, you're a Moschino alcoholic, because she'd never seen so much Moschino not in the, the factory. And uh, we started speaking about it, and I started showing her how we bust it and everything. And I said, did you know we were doing this? Like, did you know that mm. the streets were wearing your clothes, and they weren't wearing them how, you know, to the, to, to the ivy? Yeah. They were wearing them at the Temple in Tottenham. Yeah. They were wearing them at the Vauxhall Coliseum, you know? They were taking all people's jackets or people's backs after a rave, like, did you know this? And they said, no, we didn't know this at all. But we knew there was a, we could see on our, on our balance sheets mm. that the UK was buying a lot of Moschino. Right. And they could see which kind of pieces were. So obviously loud patterns were, so they just, let's just keep sending those patterns that way. That's no. amazing. So maybe th- did they imagine, you know, there's lots of bankers that when they were at home were secretly wearing these really loud clothes. They there was a bit of a language that. barrier. So yeah. I, I don't know if she really got that point I was trying to get to. But yeah. I said, I said, were, was it meant to be worn as one? Mm. Or was it meant to be less brash and yeah. worn like plain jeans and that shirt? And, she, uh, and typical, she said, ah, it was meant for however anyone <laughs> wanted to take it. However you'll buy it. Yeah. <laughs> but when I... F- um, I used to know the guys at London office Moschino pretty well. And uh, I used to say to them, because some of them were still around from the 90s, and I said, it's amazing, they're having a right comeback. And they said, yeah, because you know in the 90s, it was terrible for us. I said, why is that? They said, well, you know, because you'd read page four of, of, of the paper, it'd be like, 
and the defendant was leaving the court wearing yellow <laughs> jeans. And it was not the press they wanted. They were like, no, no, why isn't Kylie and Jason wearing this shit? Why is it my guy getting done for stealing a car? You know, and yeah. they didn't like that connotation. So they just, they didn't, if you, if you see, there's never really any addressing of, because yeah. there's so much scope. They don't acknowledge that part of it. I put, yeah, no, exactly. For me, I think they've missed a trick. You could really mm. do the whole rude boy fa fashion thing here. Mm. You could have all, you know, a whole catwalk of yeah. that for Moschino and, and the menswear. Because they've done, they do amazingly well for the women's wear. Uh, it's irrelevant whether he's using old prints or not. That's a different part we can get to. But it's done amazingly well. You've got Miley Cyrus to Madonna to Katy Perry to mm. Cardi B. Everyone busting Moschino. And it's aspirational for women blatantly mm. to see, like, coolest women in the world wearing it. You're like, yeah, man, I want to wear that. But they're missing a trip by not giving an opportunity to the men, you know? Yeah. That's why there are artists out there now, really, you know, met male, really pushing the fashion thing and doing it their own way. And that's exciting to see. And I think Moschino missed that trip because over here, that's our culture. Yeah. We love that. And I think other brands have seen it. Like Christopher Shannon, he's, he's quit stomped on that kind of like loud wave and mm. doing a good job with it. So. I think they've kind of missed that opportunity here. They've, they've, they've forgotten that men love it. Yeah. Like, we love it over here, like that kind of style. And they could have really exploited that, I think. Yeah, that's cool, actually, thinking of it as a part of there's like this British history of kind of peacocking and men's yeah, fashion. Yeah, 100%. And, and but in a way, you're preserving your collection and this exhibition and Return to Jungle is really, you're preserving that history yourself. So maybe in, you, know, you can be the launch pad for yeah. that growing respect. Or, you know, you're at the London College of Fashion now, so there might be some students Real in the room who are going to yeah. come on and uh, <laughs> pull it on through. Um, I've got a couple more questions and then we'll open it to the floor, but I'm interested in the way that you use your own collection. Like, are there any pieces that you refer back to yourself or that you find particularly inspiring? Or do you have collaborators or friends who want to look at your collection for their own ideas? And uh, yeah, I mean... Um, what's it life like? Yeah, I've got quite a lot of friends who are keen to see the collection. It's in my house, so I'm not really keen on <laughs> letting them come and see it <laughs> like that. Um, Yes, I mean, like I say, I've mentioned the Wavy Garments guys a few times, so I'm pretty friendly with Andres, who's, who's uh, one of the main guys with Rihanna, who runs it. And he's been around a couple of times. We're doing a lot of things together this year, some collaborations. And I, I, I like showing people like him the collection, because I can see that how inspired they are by it. I can see mm. they love it. And it's genuine. Yeah, not they just understand. Like, oh, this is mad. He's like, well, you got that piece, you got this piece, you got that piece. Mm. That would work well with this. And that I like to see, you know, yeah. without a shadow of a doubt. Yeah, yeah. And again, though, that's kind of building on the idea of community because it's showing someone, it's showing it to people who understand and kind of recognise the code and have picked yeah, up on yeah, those signals. That's really, really nice. So it continues to have that kind of extra, extra meaning in life. Um, so perhaps to close, I'd be curious to know, um, you know, you've, you've kind of touched on the scale and size of your collection and how compared to most private collectors, we're looking at 200, 300 objects. You're that looks um, like a healthy collection. Like one, um, do you see it as something that you'll just keep on building? And two, if not, if we have this conversation again in 10 years, what will we be talking about? Do you think a new collection is going to come to you? Oh, wow. Um, two big guys, sorry. <laughs> wow, two things. Um, will I keep collecting? I, I think, unfortunately for everyone close to me, I have that in me, that kind of obsessive, compulsive. Things that I'm into, I'm really into. So do I think this is the end of me stockpiling stuff? Probably not. I don't want to, I wouldn't say I'm a hoarder, like 
you know, those amazing shows you see on Channel 4 where some poor bugger's got, like, <laughs> under his bed, didn't realise, just <laughs> suffocated with old socks. I'm not that bad, <laughs> but, like, you know, I definitely have a, have a soft spot for stacking things I like. So, um... I don't want to just like say nothing, no more mosh, because the guys bought some jeans yesterday, so it's garbage. <laughs> but more time, I've got pretty much every pattern that I wanted from a generation to tell this, to tell this tale, mm. and the tale I, w I really want to tell that tale via the exhibition and, and documentary I'm trying to make. Um, so I think the collection will always be s slowly but surely mm. bubbling and building. I mean, there was a period of time where I was getting stuff delivered every single day or right. finding something every single day. So thankfully, um, that's kind of stopped. Mm -hmm. um, but like I said before, I wasn't just, wasn't just like cashing whatever checks. I mean, I was on it. Yeah. I'd be haggling, you know, that. Oh, yeah, meticulous. Because, yeah, you won. You don't, it, it, that's part of it. Mm. It's without a doubt part of the, the interest. Like you said, the, the chase. Yeah. No pun intended, you know, to, to find it. And when you got it, it's like, yeah. Yeah. Oh, shit, get that piece. I mean, that yeah. <laughs> so obviously, that kind of yeah. addiction, that addiction keep, keep, will keep running, no doubt. Mm. Um, yeah. When something uh, enters your collection, does it stay? Like, once a piece is with you, is that piece with you forever, or do you end up doing a swap shop? Oh, no. <laughs> I'll only swap, like, doubles. Yeah. And more time you buy, I buy a double if I'm like, that is super cheap. <laughs> uh, someone's selling it for, like, know, tuppence. Mm. I'm like, cool, I'll, I'll buy that. Because then, yes, I'll trade it with someone who's got something I don't, I don't, I don't have. Yeah. But it's been a while, to be honest with you, since that situation has arisen. But no, I, I can't see myself swapping my collection for yeah. stuff. Uh, my other half will, Mr. State, <laughs> said to me, what are you going to do, man, when, you know, you're not into mosh anymore and you're just into collecting, I don't know, gold chains exclusively? Mm -hmm. Oh, it's not going to happen. Yeah. Uh, I'll forever be doing this. And then, obviously, I kind of stopped buying mosh. I was like, he can't be right because that's mm. really annoying. <laughs> but nah, he, he's not right on this front because I still have it. Yeah. And uh, I'm thankful that I've, I've been quite shrewd with, with purchasing it and it's obviously an investment potentially. But I couldn't imagine myself uh, selling it. Yeah. I don't see what the interest would be or, or the point. Um, also, it's nice to know, I think I have, I'm pretty certain I've got the largest personal mm. collection, maybe in the world. Yes, um, surely. So it'd be a bit random just to start selling it off. Well, that's it, because it becomes a part of your own story, both in terms of preserving that scene, but also because of that chase and because of the way it's grown and where those pieces have gone with you and what you have and haven't worn and things. Exactly. So it becomes, it's your biography, your autobiography in a way that you've got captured, which is really nice. But it's also, I feel like from what you said tonight, that your collecting practice is like an act of loyalty um, to that particular legacy. So I... I hope it stays in your hands. Thank you. So, yeah, perfect. Well, thank you very, very much. Uh, please join me in thanking you.